You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another award-winning Brand Builders Podcast. My name is Brian Young, and we are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. Now, in an age where we can have endless information at our fingertips around the clock and really from around the globe, uh, really even information overload, how do you make sense of it all, Uh, especially if some of it's coming in a different language or many different languages? Babel Street is a data analytics company that works to make sense of it all uh, in more than 200 languages, which is really hard to even think about. Uh, It assigns and charts social media in uh, 18 major world languages, so companies, universities, sports teams can cyber snoop on what's being said about them by their employees, players, fans, uh, and even track threats. Now, Clem McDavid, a former Harvard punter himself, is coming on board uh, or came on board, excuse me, with Babel Street in 2015 and is joining us on the Brand Builders podcast to tell us a little bit more about uh, Babel Street and really a hot topic lately, which is social media monitoring. So welcome, Clem, to the Brand Builders podcast. Thank you for having me. Great intro, Brian. Thank you, Clem. Great to see you, buddy. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you will, explain what Babel Street does. It, is it all about data, statistics, social media monitoring? If you will, kind of put it in layman's terms so we can understand what you have going on here. I I was interested to hear how you described it. Um, We just went through an exercise and we're in the middle of uh, an ongoing exercise on our brand as a company and how people describe us and how we are described internally as well. Uh, And so you hit on some keywords and you hit on some words that I kind of cringe at sometimes, um, but that's all part of it. And so we're trying to get there. And so um, I'm going to have a better answer for you if you would ask me next week, because we get this whole report <laughs> back on Monday um, as to kind of what we are. But essentially, we are a software platform that helps individuals search and scour the web in 200 languages for whatever it is you want to find. So uh, within that internet or the web, right, we are looking across social platforms, consumer platforms, deep and dark web providers, uh, and then also third-party data uh, that you know either you have access to or we have access to, uh, but what it, all of it is publicly available information in some way or form. Uh, so we're not going behind firewalls. We're not hacking into anything. It's, if, it's a way to find it on the internet, and we bring in disparate data sources all onto a single screen so that you're not having to travel throughout the web to find all those things. And our biggest differentiator is our language capabilities. So if you're interested in widgets in China and you don't have a Chinese linguist on staff, that's fine. We help you to uh, find whatever it is that widget is, um, whether it's being written about in Mandarin or Cantonese or any of the other, you know, 50 languages, I think, that Chinese uh, evolves into. That's really interesting. And um, I think now, like, social media has, has, has taken off. I mean, two days ago, Facebook crashes and Instagram crashes, and we're at an event called Next Gen CLT. And literally every marketer in there is wanting to post. And I feel like everybody's head was about to explode. So it, it shows the importance of social media, but also you look at tracking that data. It seems like now, if something happens in the media, they can find something from 1984 that you said in two seconds and have it up on the news. Um, so it's kind of fascinating how fast that changes. One question that I have for you is you talk about in this world, like every day could be different. And you're talking about next week with your brand changing. How do you guys stay on top of that? And how does 
How does Babel Street continue to change not only daily, but maybe even hourly to the threats and the things that are coming up in your world? One of uh, the, I guess, hallmarks of our company is the fact that one of, we, we say we don't let our customer fail. The only way that happens is if you have constant interaction with your customer and your partners. And so uh, we're always thinking about new data sources to bring on the platform, new analytics tools to incorporate into the uh, software. But a lot of that comes from our customers as well. Things are being posted around the world on new platforms daily, and they recognize a need for it. And if there's a, um, a critical mass there, we're going to add that to our platform because we feel it's necessary to not only have a wide breadth of data, but the correct data. And so if it's meaningful, we're going to add it. Do you mainly work with individuals, institutions, government? Like what, what type of space are you playing in? Yeah, we, the, the user is always an individual, uh, but we are, a, we are a B2B company. Um, we work with institutions uh, from the government side of the world, um, but we also work with a lot of uh, commercial entities uh, globally as well. Uh, we are with sports leagues and entertainment companies financial institutions, really anybody in the commercial world, there's a use case for our platform. Uh, we just kind of sometimes maybe have to help you find that use case. We're an emerging technology. Uh, our, granted, our company is six years old or so, um, but we still work with you know everybody in, that's under that umbrella. We can find a way for you to use this. We just have to educate you perhaps on the front end uh, to what that might be. And you mentioned with your business being six years old, tell us how has that business changed in six years when you first launched it six years ago to now? I mean, just look at the internet, what's changed in six years and the mediums and, and the things that people are using. So tell us from the beginning to now, what did it start on? And then now what is it kind of warped into? There's a funny story that our CEO, uh, Jeff Chapman, could tell you a little bit better than I can. But uh, Jeff came from a world in the government where he needed a bunch of different data sources that he was looking at, but they were everywhere, right? And some he had to pay for. Uh, they were, and he would bring up, you know, 40 different windows on his computer and having to go here and there and limited budget, right? So um, he kind of, the genesis of our company is realizing that there was a need there and he looked around for that tool and thinking, I'll be able to find it. And it didn't exist. Uh, so he got back together with a gentleman that he started a previous uh, software company with and said, let's do this again. And that was the genesis of Babel Street. And so it kind of operated in a beta phase for a couple of years. So it's when I say six years, it probably maybe even a little longer than that. But um, I think I'd have to go back and look at when the original letters of incorporation were filed. But since I came on board four years ago, I was the 13th employee. Um, we are drastically bigger now. Um, and we have a picture of us in our first kind of, we call them our all hands meeting. And there were 17 of us in the room. And now we fill up a conference room and overflow it. Uh, and I'm talking a big, you know, amphitheater style conference room. So it's great. We've grown from the 20, 30 sources that we had to, you know, well over 60 now. We look across, you know, billions of blogs and message boards as well. So we really cover way more. And we covered a lot back then, but we cover even more now. 
the software has, the platform has grown, user base has grown, the company has grown. So it's a completely, while it's the same in many ways, it's completely different than it was even four years ago. What would you say is the coolest thing you all have found for someone or sourced or? Um, that I can talk about. It's, it's uh, what we did around the Super Bowl a few years ago, uh, Super Bowl 49, which was out in Phoenix. We actually helped one of our customers uh, discover, you know, some legitimate threats to a venue and a game. Um, they were vet, you know, ended up being vetted and it, it didn't happen. And thankfully, but you know, that's an example of what we do. But, you know, anecdotally on a personal level, I find things all the time about, you know, articles that may have been written. You mentioned earlier before we came on about stuff, you know, maybe back in the 80s. I'm not that old, but I found an article that I had completely forgotten about. It's probably you're eight or nine pages deep on a search engine that, you know, they say no one goes past, I think 90% of the people don't go past the first page. And it was written, I, I was quoted in an article um, back when Bill Clinton came to Augusta, Georgia, when I was in like fifth grade. I was going to see him speak. Yeah, it was one of those like, oh, I completely forgot about that. So blast from the past. Um, we could find, we really do find so many things on a daily basis. Uh, but, you know, that's probably the most, you know, or the highest profile one that we, we talk about. We won an award for it uh, last year, I believe it was, the Golden Eagle Award from the National uh, Center for Sports Safety and Security. So that was very meaningful to the company. That's really interesting. And I'm like, what did I say in fifth grade? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, it's just a search away. That's buddy. right. <laughs> you know, so one of the things that I think is fascinating with what you do is, is you can support companies in a lot of different ways. Um, that was a great example of supporting the Super Bowl in an organization and really kind of, you know, making that threat go away, which is great. But tell us, what can a company get out of, of working with Babel? And what are kind of the, the different scenarios that you guys provide? Sure. So... If you look at a normal search, um, you're going to probably go to one of your two or three main search engines as a, uh, that you use on a daily basis, and you're going to get whatever it is they bring it back to you, but it is a snapshot. Um, what we do is persistently search, so until you turn it off, it is searching for you constantly, day and night, 24-7. And so uh, along with that, is the ability to search in all of these different languages. And so when you're searching on Google or a Bing, you're looking in English. What you're, what you're typing in is what you're getting back. Uh, the differentiator that we have is what you type in. Not only are we going to go out and look for it across whichever platforms you're looking to search on, but we're going to find it in up to 200 other languages. So the example of you know this, this water bottle, I'm looking for this water bottle in English, but I'm going to get examples of these water bottles coming back to me in French and Spanish and you know, whatever other language that uh, that may be out there that's written about. So if you can apply that to any industry, uh, if you're starting your search uh, with a normal search engine, you're missing half the data. So what we're trying to do is fill that gap. Uh, and that can seem overwhelming to people, but we really helped you to put a filter on there and get it down to you know, something that's digestible for you, and then it's meaningful information coming back because the world is full of data. And I think that term big data is so ubiquitous now. It gets thrown around by everybody and means something different to everybody. Um, 
So what we are we are helping you to do is find meaningful data that is powerful and uh, can help drive your mission. In the past, you've talked about Google, Safari, Yahoo being some of the top search engines. And I think you mentioned a number like 10%. That only represents like 10% of the overall web or internet, which implies there's a lot more out there that I think you refer to as the dark web or whatever it may be. I'm, I'm glad you've been listening to that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm excited to know more about the dark web and what that means, because if, if I'm like the majority of folks, we have no clue. Can you talk a little bit on that? Sure. So I, and, and I'll preface all of this uh, by saying I'm, I'm, I'm not a tech guy myself. I came from the world of sports and entertainment, and uh, I've learned all of this in the last three, four years. Uh, if you look when you search on a basic search engine that you just brought up, what you're finding, that's called the indexed web. And that's a lot of information, but it's not all the information. It's not even close. It's roughly 10 to 20% of the internet. There is a whole different world below that, uh, and we call that the deep and dark web. And so that are that's things that are sometimes nefarious in, in nature, but it's also a lot of other areas like chat rooms and just different websites that you can find so many different things on. It's it's not indexed, though, and that's the biggest thing. And so when you're searching across a Google or a Bing, you're looking at the indexed web. And so we have the ability through partners of ours to go and look at the deep and dark web. And even still, you're covering only parts that they've helped to index as they've gone through their exercises. So we're still, there's 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 so much data, again, out there and so many parts of the web. It's, it, it really is like the ocean. I mean, I think, you know, we've barely begun to explore our real ocean. Uh, that's much like the internet. Do you have, um, it, it's interesting now in the media, it's like they can find anything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very interesting. And right now we're going through the, the whole college, uh, you know, issue. Um, are you going to have more individuals from maybe celebrity status, people that have money coming to you and saying like, Hey, back in 1996, uh, there might be something about me that I don't want. Is that something that you guys do, or is that kind of shady? Well, one, we're not. We don't have the ability to erase things that are on the internet. Uh, we work with organizations that want to find stuff, uh, and it's generally security related. Has been the the larger part of our business, but we have marketing divisions of companies. We have uh, brand protection, brand monitoring. So there are, there's a, like I said earlier, there are a ton of different use cases. The example you bring up, maybe on the individual level, we probably wouldn't get to that. Uh, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a B2B company. Um, I, I thought going through our branding exercise earlier this week, a gentleman brought up a great new term. Uh, there's B2B, B2C, and this was B2I. And, I, and it kind of, I said, what, is, what is B2I? And it really applies to every single organization that sells something out there. And B2I is business to individual. Because at the end of the day, it's the individual that's making the decision to buy your product. He may get input from, or she may get input from her board or everybody that they work with. But at the end of the day, there is one person that is buying whatever it is you're selling. So we're tailor, we're trying to tailor our message to that individual. But at the end of the day, it's a user that works for a larger organization. 
I love that B, B2I. And we always talk about that. We want to be able to support individuals, but there's always going to be somebody that is the decision maker. And if you're not tailoring that approach to that individual, then you're never going to be able to experience a B2B because <laughs> you're never going to get there. Exactly. Um, so that was really interesting. Now, what about uh, with companies that would be interested in this? I'm very fascinated with you know your first conversation with the customer because I feel like they'll contact you and they'll be like, oh man, we, we really need to find this out or we need to figure this out. But then you kind of open up the book and they're like, wow, like Battle Street, you can do all of that. So what are the norms? Like what do most people contact you with? Was their like first issue? And then tell us kind of how does that kind of warp into maybe being a full-fledged um, group that takes care of them? Well, you brought up when you were introducing me, uh, you talked about social media monitoring and uh, we're so much more than that. But that's a lot of people's foray into you know, what we do. And so that can generally be a, an inquiry we would get through our website or you know, at a conference or something. I heard you guys do social media. Like, sure, you know we, we do. <laughs> let me let me let me open the aperture a little bit more and, and show you what we do and and uh, and maybe look at some solutions or benefits from using a company like ours that are way more than social media. Uh, again, the language component of all of this is is paramount to what we do. So finding things across certainly social platforms, but are you thinking about um, maybe supply chain management? Um, are you thinking about your executives? Uh, are you thinking about potential physical you know, office space that you have? There are, are you thinking about IP that may be, may be stolen and you don't know it's been stolen? There are as many use cases as we could sit here for two weeks and I wouldn't run out of them. Wow. Dang. You, you mentioned branding earlier. I'm, I'm really curious, with this being the Brand Builders podcast, how, how your platform applies to marketers. Could you, could you talk a little bit sure. on that? So we have different analytics uh, within our platform that can help marketing companies search across things like volume and authors and as well as sentiment. And we do sentiment analysis in just over 20 languages right now. And so... If you're somebody is saying something negative about your your brand, you're going to want to know that. But you're also going to want to know we've seen a shift in platform usage in the last couple of years. So people migrating from one platform to another platform and new platforms are popping up every day. So that is something that organizations have found useful is, okay, we've seen our numbers go down here, but they've spiked in other places. And so maybe that means from a engagement standpoint, we need to migrate as well uh, or focus more resources on a new platform and, and, you know, reallocate from where we were. What are some of the analytics behind that? As far as like Facebook, you can see in my mind that Facebook's kind of shrunk a little bit from that aspect. More people are going into Instagram. You've seen, in my opinion, a huge spike in LinkedIn. More people are, are transitioning to that specifically from business. What are you seeing um, from those platforms? And maybe what's a new platform that we don't know about or one that's up and coming that we should know about? Well, we're going to hold you to it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't comment. There, <laughs> yeah. No comment. There, there are just so many new platforms. Um, but the, I think one of the things that we've seen is just the expansion of the internet across the, the world. Uh, and there are kind of not copycat, but similar versions of what we consider to be our core social platforms in the United States different iterations of those are popping up around the world. And so being able to 
see those and, and ingest that data in, in real time like we do has been uh, key to our success. So like take a company like Coca-Cola, mm. right? They're in, in most countries. Sure. Are they as a marketing team, and I'm not saying you work with them, but are they as a marketing team? We don't, team, if they're listening, we yeah. love Coca-Cola. Hello, yeah. here we go. This is good for you. So if they were to try to focus on all of these you know, social media marketing, where we think, you know, in my opinion, advertisements, you'll see commercials go down. No one's watching commercials. You're going to see in the next five years, social media, big, huge companies are going to be coming in and pushing a lot of money behind that. So an ad that costs $5 today will cost $50 in five years, $100 in let's say seven years. It's going to be very difficult for a small player to play on that platform. How does Coca-Cola not only keep up to date in America, but are they trying to jump into all these different platforms as well? Or is that something that they should be doing? Coke is an interesting brand. I have a little bit of you know, firsthand knowledge of, of how they operate um, through folks that I know. But originally with some of their social channels, it was purely organic. They didn't even have it. They had tried to do some stuff internally. And there was, I think, a, their Twitter feed or their Instagram feed was run by like fans. And so they realized that they were doing a better job of operating their channel than Coke could do. And so... Um, that's a, a little bit of a probably a unique example, but um, I think where companies like Coca-Cola, international global brands can benefit from a global company like ours, and I keep harping on it and people are going to get here to t- tired of hearing it, what is the language piece of it? And understanding if you're going to speak to your audience, you've got to be able to speak in multiple languages. You've got to look across multiple languages to hear what they're saying back to you and their feedback. Uh, something... Like, and I don't want to get the wrong number, but it was a high number of Americans speak multiple languages now. And and English is not the primary language for a large number of Americans. So how do you reach that audience? And how are you understanding what that audience is saying about you if you're just searching in English? That, that's fascinating. fascinating. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to switch gears here because this is the brand butters podcast. We want to learn a little bit more about your personal brand. Um, you do have a background in sports being a former punter at Harvard, which is awesome, but then transitioning that into more of a college sports marketing uh, profession, and then now getting into this technical, technical job. So tell us a little bit about your background in sports. What role did that play in who you are today? Um, and then tell us kind of, how did you transition from being an athlete, then going into sports marketing and then boom, now you're, you're, you're working with a global brand. That's all into the analytics behind that data. I saw Jerry Maguire when I was 13 yes. years old. Was, <laughs> Show me the money. I want to be that guy. Um, didn't end up being that guy. <laughs> But I took. Still have time. I, I, hey, I'm only 34. I just, you know, had a birthday. Side this hustle. Week, so Side we hustle. Started. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to. I wanted to do something in sports. I knew it from that that time I saw that movie. Uh, my stepfather works in NASCAR, so I'm kind of exposed to sports through through him. And uh, I played sports. I knew. I, I watched anything growing up. I mean, I would watch you know everything from football to baseball, basketball to. Some random, you know, back in the day, ESPN2 used to show like the most random sports in the world, right? So I, I don't care what it was. And so I was able to find a job right out of school with a local organization here in Charlotte that has since morphed into another organization, but representing NASCAR drivers, motorsport uh, drivers and teams. Left there, uh, went to uh, work for the uh, PGA Tour, which was a great experience uh, in sales uh, migrated from there back to Charlotte and worked at NASCAR and licensing for uh, about two and a half years, 
enjoyed that learning, you know, each one of these, it's kind of like a crash course, little business school class where I'm learning different parts of the sports industry. So I've gone from representation and contracts to sales, licensing, and then went to uh, IMG College up in Winston-Salem. I commuted back and forth and learning the multimedia rights side of business. And we were bought out by um, Endeavor, which is out of Los Angeles, uh, William Morris. And I had a couple months to decide what it is I was going to do. And I called my buddy Jeff, who is our CEO at Babel Street. And I owe him a lot. He was he had had an interview scheduled for me, you know, 10 years ago, and it brought me to D.C. It's how I met my wife. And now I work for the man. Um, so, I, you know, a lot of things I owe him for. Yeah. But um, I called him. I said, Anna, I got to find something to do. And he said, well, call me back on Monday. And I, yes. OK. And I called him back and he said, well, I want you to help get us into sports entertainment, get our platform into there. And that took a couple of years. But we've been successful. We have a number of leagues and teams and venues on our client roster. Um, and it's it's been great. But yeah, I had no background in tech and still don't claim to. Um, and you mentioned it being technical. I'm probably the least technical person that works in our company. But uh, it just shows that, one, don't ever close a door. Uh, I met Jeff at a bar my freshman year at Harvard. I had a camouflage hat on. He's from Mississippi. He came up and said, you're not from around here. I said, no, I'm not. And he said, let's, let's chat. And we struck up a friendship and it's been, uh, it's been amazing. It's been a great ride, but it has, it's just shown me that no matter who they are or who you meet, there's, you know, maybe down the road there, it help you open a door or you can open a door for them. And it's been, I've been very fortunate. It really is all about who, you know, you know, relationships, that's where we focus and it, it makes life a lot more fun. Absolutely. What would be your advice? Um, so I, I was lucky enough to play a college sport, transitioned out, knew I wouldn't go pro. Uh, I feel like playing sports has has made me who I am. But what would be your advice for young athletes, not only um, for their career, but specifically social media around kind of what to do and what not to do? Uh, and then once they go to college and they play a sport, how they transition out? Tell me how sports kind of played that role in your life and what would be your advice to young, uh, young sports enthusiasts? My first advice to athletes is play as many sports as you can play. Uh, it makes you just a better all-around athlete. But specifically to your, your follow-up question there, I am super lucky social media did not exist until <laughs> Amen. Uh, I was the, <laughs> me too. I, I think something <laughs> like, if you go back and look, originally when Facebook first came out, uh, it, it, up until three years ago, in your profile, the URL for your profile would say your name and then a couple other letters and it would have a backslash and it would have a number. And that was the number that you had signed up on Facebook. And I was like the number, I think, 350th person on Facebook because it came out the end of my freshman year. And still, it was limited to colleges at that point and employers didn't have access to it and parents didn't even access to it until I think my senior year. Um, so using using social media in a smart and effective way. I think it, it bothers me when coaches say no social media. Well, why not? You're part of going, I, maybe in high school I can sort of get, but there's less media scrutiny in high school. In college, what are you there for? Right, You're there to learn and you make mistakes in college. And very rarely are you going to make such a severe mistake that it's going to, you know, 
destroy, at least on a social media side, it's going to destroy your personal brand or um, your team in any way. And so I think getting out in front of it, there are a number of programs out there that educate athletes on, on how to do it effectively and do it smart. But I think authenticity is the biggest thing. I mean, I want to, you know, there, Jake Fromm is a great example of quarterback of Georgia posting pictures. It's rarely about football. It's about bass fishing with his dad and his brothers, right? Going hunting, going on a date. I mean, those are innocuous, but good, uh, solid, you know, feel like you're in inner circle. You know what he's doing and it's fine. It builds his brand as well. I mean, in a day where influencer is like the new word out there that I want to be an influencer. Um, I feel like with the NCAA, being a former athlete, if you do it the right way, you should be able to build your brand while you're in college. You should be able to use UGA as that platform. If I'm the quarterback, if I'm not getting paid, well, guess what? I'm going to have 100,000 followers, right? So when I leave college, maybe I don't get to play pro. And then I can take that and then parlay that into a career um, and kind of go any direction that you want. So 100%. it's pretty interesting um, and great feedback on that. So before we uh, before we let you go, um, we definitely want to let all of our followers uh, get in contact with you. So what's the best way to, to find information about Babel Street if they are interested in using your services? Uh, give us a little bit of information there. Sure. Uh, BabelStreet.com is our website. You can also find us on LinkedIn. Uh, we are kind of a strong presence there. You won't see us advertising. We're not going to be on a billboard or uh, on the TV you know, commercial, but uh, we do a lot of uh, our, our advertising or content is, is pushed via LinkedIn. So certainly go there and, and find out more about us. Excellent. Well, Clem, thank you for joining us today. You got it, man. Very My informative. Pleasure. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. And everybody, check this out, babblestreet.com. Check him out on LinkedIn. Connect with Clem. Uh, he has phenomenal information. We look forward to the direction and really kind of the growth of Babble Street. Uh, we will follow up before we post this podcast, and we'll get a little bit more information on where the brand's going in a week, and then we'll kind of do that as a follow-up. But uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Brand Builders Podcast. You got it. Thank you, Clem. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.